In Camden Town, I'll meet you at the underground. In Camden Town, we'll walk there as the sun goes down. In Camden Town. Welcome to Camdeners, the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Jeffrey Young. In this podcast, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. Today, we sit down with Tony Gleed, Chief Booker for the Dublin Castle. Welcome to Camdeners. I'm delighted to be here today with Tony Gleed. Yes, that'll be me. Who's the Chief Booker? For Dublin Castle? Dublin Castle, yeah, man and boy, I've been doing that job, yes. It's been a long time, since 1996, myself and a guy called Jim, Jim Matteson, my business partner, we've been booking the lion's share of the shows there during that whole time, to be honest, or managing the venue, really, uh, you know, with other people that are booking stuff in. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite a ride since 1996. In fact, my first gig there was in... 1993, under a different umbrella promotions company. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long time, but uh, we'll, we'll carry on. How about you give us some background? And a lot of people who live in the borough of Camden will know Dublin Castle. A lot of people all over the world will know it, but there might be a few going, what is the Dublin Castle? Well, the Dublin Castle is a traditional Irish pub in a way, but it's a completely untraditional Irish pub in another way. It's a family-run public house. It's been that way for a very long time, since back in the 70s. Um, the Conlon family run it. Uh, Peggy is still there. I don't know how old she is now, but she's amazing. Uh, Henry is the son. He took over uh, recently. Well, I say recently. I'm, I'm 20 years ago, actually. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a proper boozer, but it's a proper boozer with a back room. So a proper independent boozer with a Great back room with a great PA and a fantastic stage. And as Phil Jupiter said when he performed there, this room is absolutely full of mojo. And uh, it is, you know, it's one of those places that you walk into and it's definitely got, I know, I know I'm biased, but it's definitely got some sort of otherworldly um, enigmatic vibe. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great place. It's just a great place. So in over 30 years, you must have had some incredible acts. Oh, my playing. God. Come on, brag. Tell us about Well, they've all the... played there. I mean, I wouldn't say I booked them all. No. But, I mean, for instance, Muse, they played, we booked that, and then the, the night they played, Universal Records came in and signed them on the spot, you know. Um, the Libertines, we were putting them on way before they got popular. In fact, we actually turned the Libertines down about three times because they weren't quite Three up. times? Yeah, something like that. They kept sending us tapes. They were called something else. Cooper or Copper. I can't remember. Anyway, the early uh, version of the Libertines, we did we did turn them down. And it was, this was so long ago, it was tapes, you know. Yeah. Cassettes. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, what, I think we eventually booked them. And then maybe the second time they played, I went into the, this would be, be about 2000, I suppose, walked into the sound check. And I think they just bought their military jackets that became so well known. And you could immediately feel that there was something important going on there, you know. But Arctic Monkeys played there. Killers played there. Uh, Amy Winehouse played there eventually. She always wanted to play there. She was on a kind of different circuit, being more of a jazz artist originally. Uh, but she always loved the Dublin, used to come in and serve a few pints just for the hell of it. And yeah, we, we managed to get her on eventually on a Camden Crawl. Um, 
show. Um, so yeah, Supergrass. We've had um, Ash. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone really, anyone who's anyone, and of course Madness, most famously. I mean, Madness is the is the infamous connection to the Dublin Castle. If you when you yeah. walk in, you, you you can first thing you see is a kind of wall of Madness uh, artifacts, posters, um, and yeah, they they call it. Suggs has been known to call the Dublin Castle the ancestral seat of madness because they did cut their teeth there in 1978, 79, just before they took off and developed their fan base there. So, you know, and they still name check the pub, give us kudos, uh, acknowledge the important role of the Dublin Castle in their career. In fact, last time they played a couple of years ago when they did their big gigs, um, they, they were at the Roundhouse but they were their own support band. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, they they diminished the stage and made it look like the Dublin Castle. And then they came on and played their 1979 set. And so they and then later they expanded the stage, got all the lights and modern, you know, high tech paraphernalia going, and uh, performed their current set. So it was amazing, really, to have that, you know, acknowledgement. Incredible. Wow, you've seen a lot over the years, no doubt. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and what would you say has changed? You know, like in that, all that time, what was music like in those days? What were performance venues like well, compared to they are today? When we started in the mid-90s, it was just at the point where Britpop was taking off. Uh, in fact, I started just before that. And I think just before that, you know, grunge had happened. There wasn't quite a cohesive scene. And so it was a bit hit and miss trying to book stuff. And it was kind of, you know... Good night, bad night, okay night, good night. You know, it went a bit like that. Um, and then Britpop hit, you know, Blur became massive. Blur famously did a secret gig in the Dublin Castle at the height of all that. And all those bands, you know, we were putting on all the wannabe Britpop bands and they were all bringing a huge crowd. Every A&R man in London, and there used to be proper A&R departments in record companies in those days, every A&R man in London was in the Dublin Castle and other venues, but in the Dublin Castle a lot, because I think we were booking some good stuff. And um, yeah, it was just, it made for a vibrant scene. Uh, and that, you know, that was the backbone of how we developed it, really. Uh, and so we worked from there. How has it changed? Um, well, you know, we've had various ups and downs, recessions, credit crunches, uh, terrorist issues, in came the smoking ban. You know, that was a big one, actually, surprisingly, because every pub in Camden that had previously been kind of an old guy's pub suddenly had a, a bit of a PA in the corner and a, and a, and a stage, and it, so it got more competitive. Um, so things like that, financial uh, considerations that kind of dictate your business a little bit, that's kind of outside your control, I think that's what changed. And in the 90s... And into the noughties, we could book, you know, bands from far afield, from Essex, from Kent, from up north even, on a weeknight, and they would bring a crowd. They would bring a, a coach quite often full of punters, you know, full of their eager fans, ready to have a great night out. Uh, that became more tricky as, you know, the noughties went into the 2010s. I think people, people had less money in their pocket suddenly which is still the case, actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've worked hard at it and honed it and changed it. Uh, we had to think more about heritage acts. Uh, old punk bands are still performing. 
Scar, a few tribute bands, things like that. Change the format slightly. Still do young bands and indie showcase nights, but you know you need to have more of a thematic kind of approach uh, now. Really, uh, you can't just chance your arm on booking a bunch of bands just because they sound good. Yeah. You know, you need to have a little bit of confidence that there's something there that people will pay money to go and see. But you know, it's not easy. Uh, but yeah, we we plow on. <laughs> So what, all those changes, what does that how, what does that tell you about the sort of the the world for musicians today? Mm. How has their world changed? You know, yeah, I think it's very difficult for music, musicians today. It's difficult for everybody in the business today. Uh, I mean, yeah, musicians can't dictate uh, payment at this grassroots level, which is what we're talking about. It's a grassroots level, launch pad venue level. Some people call it the toilet circuit. We don't actually, you know, we, we won't give that any credence. But, it, it, yeah, it's, um, it's hard because it's very hard to... Because you think of a musician, not only have you got to get all your equipment and stuff, you've got to have rehearsal space, you've got to pay for that, transport, um, you know, all these things are... The logistics of all this um, all takes money. And... Uh, if you're playing a Wednesday night, 8 p.m. to 8.30 down the Dublin Castle, you're not necessarily going to walk away with a, a wad of cash, you know, just because the economics of it don't allow that, unfortunately, you know. But um, if you bring a load of people, you will walk away with a load of cash. <laughs> that's that's how it works now. So bring your own fan base. Mm-hmm. Has to be that, really. Yeah. 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 Great. And 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 what about Camden? What You know, what is it that you like about being associated with Camden? Oh, well, Camden's just a legendary kind of place, isn't it, really? I think it's, I don't, you know, that term psychogeography. It's got those kind of uh, almost, you know, mystical elements, <laughs> if you like. I mean, it's like, you know, from the canals, coming off the canals, it's always an interesting, vibrant uh, place. I and mean, it's always been that, really. It's changed over the years. Uh, we've seen, you know... The it was more of an Irish area, more old guys in boozers and all that kind of thing, with traditional music playing. That's developed gradually over the years, punk scene, pub scene for the music. Um, but there's always an undercurrent of you know rebellion uh, culture. I think, despite the kind of brash side of maybe the market and things like that. Uh, that's become a bit more garish and a bit more in your face than it used to be. Well, a lot more in your face than it used to be. It used to be quite low-key, didn't it? Um, but I think Camden still retains its heart and soul. And I think I feel that coming back now, actually. I think there's signs that maybe, yeah, it's looking it's looking good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking through the sort of legends, and then, as you mentioned earlier, some of the people that have played Obviously, there's a lot of, must be so many stories and, you know, you, you're kind of privy to so much um, of those early days in, in musicians' careers. Are there any moments that really stood out as sort of an extraordinary evening or an extraordinary time and something you really relish and you'd love to share with us? Well, I think when Amy Winehouse played, that was an incredible buzz. I mean, the place was absolutely packed as much as it could be, you know, and uh, the 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 buzz was just immense. It was it was incredible. Also, that same weekend, 
Travis played. And that was a really nice gig because the police had come in off the street because it was part of the Camden Crawl, so there was policing going on, you know. And they were there dancing at the back of the room with their, you know, with their helmets in their hands. Please don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a wonderful thing. And when Travis went to the stage, they came through the audience with their guitars aloft. And they started doing that on their Enormodome tour when they went back out on tour afterwards. They enjoyed doing that so much, they it became a thing in their act that they'd walk through the the audience with their guitars in the air. So, you know, that was good. There's been so many things. I mean, a lot of them I couldn't begin to say because they're a bit rude. I mean, you know, <laughs> racy things happen yeah. in pubs and clubs. We know this. Um, and I won't go into any of those. But there was one funny time when a, uh, uh, a sort of alternative noise rock New York band whose name now escapes. Oh, what were they called? Oh, goodness, I need my, I need Jim here to tell me. But anyway, they were kind of an arty, lo-fi, you know, very trendy rock band, packed the room. And uh, they were playing sort of instrumentals, um, experimental instrumental stuff. And their cab driver, Nigerian cab driver, turned up early to take them to wherever they were going next. Uh, and they called him to the stage, and he free-formed the vocals. Wow. On the spot. And it was the most incredible thing. Nobody filmed it, sadly. Because oh. <laughs> this was like 1999 or something, you know. Uh, nobody had the camera aloft, what you know, filming everything like they do now. Yeah. We didn't have, um, yeah, we didn't have our phone cameras in nope, those days. we did not. Yeah. No, yeah. I imagine if there would have been <laughs> a lot more footage. Well, there's a lot now, isn't there? <laughs> no shortage now. <laughs> Yeah. Is there anyone that you would have loved to have played there that you're just like, oh my gosh, why? <sighs> well, so many, really. But I mean, I always had a soft spot for uh, the fall from Manchester. I think that would have been interesting. We did look into that. We nearly had Marky Smith doing a sort of solo, uh, you know, thing, like a spoken word thing, but that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, public image, that would be nice. <laughs> something like that, you know, something iconic. You never say never, though. I mean, Madness have come back and played again, so maybe Oasis will come and do a show one day. Let's make that happen. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Oh, it'll be absolutely great. Oh, there is talk of them reforming again, isn't there? Mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And um, just in your own world, you know, the music, um, where, where are you? Are you musical? Did you ever play with yourself? I, I suppose that means I still am theoretically. Uh, I played guitar in No Hope bands that got nowhere. I played keyboards in a band also that split up the day before their first gig because the main guy ran off with the money for the, with the tickets. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah. That's what happened. So it was like I was destined not to be that side of the barricades in a way. So, and then I was playing with a band when I started putting uh, gigs on in 1993. And the idea was, oh, well, I'll be able to put my band on because I'm, I'm booking gigs. But I just got too busy with the booking of gigs. The guitar got dusty in the corner. And uh, yeah, that's it, really. I don't think I was quite good enough or maybe not driven enough. I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's for a parallel universe, I think. No regrets about not... Too old now, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, not really. Yes, sir, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. We might um, we might try something out one day. We do, we do talk about it sometimes, you know. It's just finding the time. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's still a busy life and still... Oh, it's very busy. It's, yeah, it's very busy. It's full on. I'm never bored. Never bored. I'm sometimes frustrated and annoyed, but never bored. <laughs> great. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us well, here today. Thank you on so Camden. much. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. In Camden Town, we'll walk there as the sun goes down. In Camden Town. And that's all this week for Camdeners. Camdeners was recorded in Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road for the Camden Clean Air Initiative. Time.